Hello, I'm Liz Jones. If you read my diary in the Mail on Sunday's You magazine, then you'll know me and my life pretty well. But if you've always wanted to know more, this is the place for you. Welcome to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast. I'll be taking you behind the scenes of this week's column before digging back into the archives to find some of the most shocking and hilarious stories from the last 20 years. I'll be doing all this with the help of my assistant, friend and confidant, Nick. Hello. Good morning, everyone. Today, on the Moving Forward podcast, we have a woman who has been forced to retire due to the menopause, so she has more time to pluck her chin. Ow! We also have a guest who's a woman who hates her child. Will you stop screaming? No, not really. It's still us. Yay! Yay! We don't have guests because they wouldn't come on with us. No, and actually, it would just be a disaster, wouldn't it? They, they will, <laughs> we'd interrupt them. They'd hate us. They'd have collars on top of them. Yeah, it'd just be a disaster. We also have, as I guess, on the Moving Forward podcast... God. We're leaving that behind now, though. The husband of Allegra Stratton, who's on the front page of the Daily Mail on Wednesday. She did a mock press conference in Number 10. You must watch it on YouTube. Oh, dear. And she's talking about the party held at Downing Street and she's giggling like a little schoolgirl. Ha, 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 we had a party. While I'm sure many of you were not allowed to visit your dying parents and people in hospital and your old grandmother in a care home. And I was tweeting about it last night because I was so agitated. And I was, my sort of feeling is, I just hate these people. And why are these people in charge of us? They're just all in bed with each other. I mean, literally... Literally in bed with Literally other, yeah. in bed with her husband, who's joining us on the podcast today. And I want to say to him, <laughs> she must have told you that she was giggling during a mock press conference a year ago. Did you write about it in your Times column and your Spectator column? No, you didn't, did you? And he, her husband, was actually very rude to me once. I went to this media dinner and I was so nervous about going on this media dinner. I actually hired an outfit from this wonderful man called William who deals in couture and I hired a Dior couture black outfit because I was so nervous. I really dressed up. I was sat next to the husband of this woman who's giggling on ITV last night and he got so fed up with me being deaf he just turned his back to me and talked to the neighbour. That's so rude. That's so awful. And I remember thinking, God, you're about 12. How can you possibly know anything? Awful. Awful. But you can't be in bed, can you? You can't be in both camps. You can't. No. You just can't. It's be like in both that camps. awful Mary woman who wrote in the Spectator about, oh, my Christmas under lockdown, and she forgot to mention with her stupid husband they went all the way to Barnard Castle. I mean, you can't take the money no. without putting your readers first. No. And if you don't want to put the readers first, and I do. I'll betray anyone. I'll betray me old mother yeah. on her deathbed, you know. Don't take the money and go and work in boots. So, is- Allegra Stratton, you need to go and work in boots. Your husband needs to go and work in boots. 
if you're not going to be honest with the readers and tell them what's going on and actually have a little bit of respect. Yeah. I was shocked. I actually was completely shocked because it was just... They obviously just found it so funny they might be caught out on what they'd say. And even when she said, is this being recorded, ha, ha, ha. Yeah. Well, actually, have some self-awareness. Yes, it bloody well is, and it's putting you on the arse. Yeah, yeah. So have some self-awareness. But I think the problem with these very privileged people, and I'm very much a fan of the meritocracy of people getting their own merit and their skill and their hard work rather than just who their friends are, who they're married to or, or who their parents are. I hate all of that, which is probably why it took me 40 years to get a column. But I just feel the reason they take these risks, you know, they feel up a woman in their office or they giggle away during a press conference during a national crisis when people are sobbing about their parents dying... They've been so sheltered and mollycoddled their whole lives. Public school, you're, you're so dim, you didn't grow a brain, I'm going to have to pay for you to go to university and I'm going to send you on a gap year and if you're in trouble, I'm going to fly you home and I'm going to wire you some money. They've all got safety nets the size of an Olympic trampoline. They never feel they're going to fall to the floor. So thump, she's fallen to the floor. I hope she's sacked and I hope he's sacked as well. Yes, agreed. So that's our new podcast, tackling the the news of, of the moment. Well, to be honest, it was so appalling. I don't think we could ignore it. No, it was so it was appalling, so awful. Appalling. Awful. Can you imagine if you've lost someone and you couldn't be there when they died, and you see her stupid, posh, wearing no makeup face, giggling away? I want to punch her. No, well, there's going to be repercussions, isn't there? Yeah, she I can't hope get so. away with that. But we have another Ma- Miranda Priestley moment this week, don't da, we? Da, da. Da, da, da. There was two last week. Now there's yes. one this week. What was my Miranda Priestley moment this week, Nicola? Well, or Andy, as I <laughs> Andy, should call you. I was fixing something on Liz's printer, and I said to Liz, "Well, you don't like technology, do you? You don't, you, you know, you just use it to write. It's just a tool for you. Whereas I like computers and stuff. So, <laughs> so I, shall I repeat what I God, said? You repeat what you said. In the voice, do the voice. I'm the artist, technology is my paintbrush. And then you said... I'm the talent. I'm the talent. <laughs> but it's true. You wouldn't say to Picasso, well, your brush is the most important thing, and it, he's the most important thing, not his brush. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But it was definitely another moment that we needed to recall for prosperity. <laughs> So how's your week been, Nick? Another boring book? Um, I had a lovely tweet this week that said my books are not boring, that she thoroughly enjoys my books. So no, no, no to you. I have got a book, actually. I've had... My dog Charlie's not been very well, so I've been up with him all night for the last couple of nights. So I have been reading Sweet Temptation by Lucy Diamond. I have heard of Lucy Diamond, yeah, actually. she's written a lot. She's written a lot of books. Um, That's quite an old book, though, isn't it? No, this was out uh, a few days ago. So this is her latest book. And um, it's not really my usual sort of thing. It's chick lit and it's a a novel, quite a girly novel, and it is one for the girls, definitely. So men, just make a cup of tea at this precise moment because you're not going to be interested. But actually, I'm, I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I wanted was it funny? Yeah, it was funny. I wanted something light to read. And it's basically about three women who are overweight and they join like a, a Weight Watchers type thing called Fat Busters. 
and they develop a friendship and it's about their individual lives and, and how they come together. And actually, I really enjoyed it. The you've got the underlying peg. I'm going to use the word peg, of of the weight loss and stuff that the theme that runs through the book that connects these women, but it's actually about women's friendship. Is she chippy? <laughs> There's a couple of very chippy people in there. There's, it's about women's friendship, how women support each other. Do they argue. They do argue. In fact, in fact, one of them is on the radio and she has a very chippy boss <laughs> who talks about how fat she is on air and humiliates her. And then when she does lose weight, she keeps bringing in, like, chocolates and stuff, you know, to sabotage her. So it's, it's got a quite a good storyline. It's got fantastic relationships. We've got three very different characters, which is nice. And one of them I really relate to. There's one character that's, that's got a boyfriend. And she's always defending him, always, like, sticking up for him. And all her friends are saying is a bully, is this, is that. And she's constantly defending him. So you've got their journey with losing weight and the running. You've got someone dying. It's, it's, got, it's, got, it's got everything in there. You've got a gay best friend who's fabulous and fun. You've got lucky knickers. You've got a tarot reader. And the characters are very relatable. They're very relatable. Are you sure you didn't write it? Actually, you do read it and you think... Wow, I could have said that, or that's my experience. But with diets, losing weight, boyfriends. So if you're out for a sort of funny, light-hearted read that's a sort of really girly read, but not sickly. There's no sort of sickly sweet about it. In fact, there's one character... My book isn't sickly sweet. No, your book is very... It's very different to your book. Although, although it's a sort of around weight issues, it's very, very different to your book. Um, Successful. <laughs> It's only just come out. Um, I've also been reading Feng Shui, Your Life, Jamie Barrett. And that is an old book. I've had this book years and years and years. But I've been thinking about all my bad luck and all the, you know, how to change things. And I've been looking at the Feng Shui of my house and of my energy. Well, did you ditch the other bloke out the window then? Who was it you were relying on the other week? Oh, no, was no, he no. Was a tarot man? That was my tarot man. That was, yeah, that... No, I've not ditched him out the window at all. I'm still going through, all, you know, all of his suggestions and working through that. But let's face it, I need as much help as I can. And I remember this This is a lovely book. It's got beautiful pictures in. It's got loads of, of, of different aspects. She's, so currently got Missy, she's currently got Missy the Collie trying to climb her. Yes. I... Do you remember when Sam, my lovely old dead collie, he came up to you on the yard and he thought you were a tree and he weed up you? He did. I was actually standing talking to Liz and, and I looked down <laughs> and my leg was warm and getting increasingly moist. He thought you were a tree. We're going back to the word moist again, the word of the week moist. from last week. He thought you were a tree. That he made me was, laugh for about awful. a week. That was awful. So Feng Shui is basically about energy. So what have you done in your house then? Well, I haven't. I'm still in the investigating thing. I'm still looking at where things it's should be. It's never going to happen, listeners. It, no, it's it never going to happen. Because I'm thinking about what colours to She took a day to, to vacuum her rug. What, what colours to use to invoke calmness. And it's about doing lots of it. But I've got some little pointers here that I thought I know what you should do in. to Feng Shui your house. Shall I tell everyone? Well, clean it would be a start. Get rid of the teenage boyfriend. So apart from getting rid of the teenage boyfriends, I've got a couple of little little pointers here for people that would like better feng shui in their house. So first of all is clear the clutter. 
you know, you have a click because you're removing anything that blocks energy. Everything should flow. I don't have any clutter. Well, not you personally, but everything should flow. Everything should be able to move nicely. Get rid of anything that you don't love. Get rid of anything that doesn't make you feel good. Another one which is very important is water is about prosperity. And in a bathroom, water goes down the drain, doesn't it? And you flush the toilet. So you don't want to flush your wealth down the toilet. So keep your toilet lid down. Don't run taps unnecessarily and close the bathroom door. This is apparently very important, so I'm giving this a lot of emphasis. <laughs> you Manifestation techniques. A mood board, incentive writing, visualisation. Is that why you me the other night to say that I need to have a mood board? I think it'd be good for you because you can be very clear on what you want and how to manifest it. I know what I want. Yeah, but if you see it and you visualise it and you create a visual thing of it... I've got a picture of Nigel as my screensaver. What more of a mood board do you want? I think... I, you know you can get wallpaper <laughs> printed. I'm going to get you wallpaper and I'm going to paper your behind your bed with Nigel wallpaper to help Don't you cover manifest. cover my tarot and ball. What, with Nigel? With Nigel. So that's a really... It's actually a really nice book. So although it's an old book... I've not actually found anything better. I think it's a really good book. So I'm working on that this week. Do you want to hear my column? Your diary. It's not a diary. She's scowling now. I did that on purpose. It's a column. I did that I'm a columnist. <laughs> I'm a on columnist. Then. Go on then, give us your diary. Well, I've got a new problem. A new one? Is it another man? No, my hair's coming out. And it sort of made me think, as women, we go from one problem to the next. Like, when I was a little child at school, I had split ends and I had very long hair. And so I was obsessed with someone not sitting behind me. So on the coach or on the bus, I didn't want anyone to sit behind me so they'd look at my hair. In assembly, I didn't want anyone sitting behind me. Then... In my 20s, I was very anorexic and I had terrible skin. I went to all these experts. In my 30s, I was desperate for a boyfriend. And I actually bought, this might, bit might get cut, they're called vaginal cones. Do you know what vaginal cones are? I do, I do know. To exercise your inner regions in case I got a boyfriend. So I was ready and I bought a step machine as well in my house. In my 40s, I worried about my husband cheating on me. In my 50s, I worried about money and losing my house, which happened. And now I'm turning into Kojak. But you so it's wear like it well. at every stage of your life, there's something wrong with your body, isn't there? I think that's just life, isn't it? That you go through different... St- you Don't know. belittle my column. No, no, I'm not belittling it at all. But I think, you know, it's inevitable that one thing will crop up and then another one will. No, but you think will. there'd be a couple of weeks when everything was tickety-boo. Well, I used to say that, didn't I? I used to do my thing every year. This will be a year and, you know, everything will no, be but easier. just a week would be nice a day without a problem. A day would be nice. <laughs> so I was feeling a bit sorry for myself, really, and thinking I was going to have to buy a hat. And then... I got an email, and this was from a lovely reader called Anne, and she started off by being very concerned about me having had vertigo and um, many years disease and being very dizzy and everything. So she'd been researching it, and she said, 
that she'd read that my mum was a ballerina and she said that my mum would have had hypermobility. It's when your joints can move beyond a normal range. Yeah. And that probably would have contributed to her arthritis because my mum had terrible arthritis. Oh, oh, that's interesting. And in those days when she was a ballerina, there was no health and safety or anything. They used to force her legs to do the splits because she couldn't do it one way, she could do it the other way. It's very, very, very harsh. And it's, it's a lot of it's changed now and they really look after dancers, but not in my mum's day. So my mum did end up in a wheelchair and then she ended up being bedridden. Um, and then Anne started to tell me about her daughter. And she's now, she's called Jenny and she's 35. And she became ill with a virus 16 years ago while at university. she just started university. And she has something called severe myalgic encephalomyelitis, which is an inflammation of the brain and spinal cord. And Jenny is a poet, and I've read some of her poems, and she's so talented, and she can only write one poem a year. But then since January 2020, do you remember when we were all moaning about being under lockdown? Yeah, yep. She can no longer watch TV. She cannot move her head from her pillow. She cannot look down, up or side to side. She cannot be washed or have her pyjamas or bedding changed because if she moves her, ne her neck, even a tiny fraction, it will cause massive damage that would kill her. She's always in respiratory dis distress. How awful. A patch of ceiling is within her field of vision, and that's it. Her only solace is audiobooks and the hope that enough money can be raised for her to see a surgeon in the US, as no surgeon here can help her. Anne is now her daughter's carer, and she sends me a photo. Jenny is so beautiful, she's like a Jane Austen heroine. And that photo is haunting me. The other morning, I woke up dreading my day. Deadlines, I had to drive to the station, catch the train, there's no food on the train, stress. Um, and when I was waking up, I thought about Stella Tennant, the model who took her own life, and how terrible must she have felt to take her own life. That level of misery is inescapable. And so because of Stella, I thought, well, I'm still alive. I got up and I went about my day, but I didn't do it with any good grace or any joy that I'm still alive. But Stella got me out of bed. Now I keep thinking about Jenny staring at the patch of ceiling above her bed in Snowdonia. Hearing her story has made me ashamed I don't live with any happiness. And I'm wondering if we could all this Christmas do something for Jenny. I'm wondering if we could give her the gift of perhaps watching a Christmas special or turning her head. Because that would be something. My life isn't so bad and her mum bothered to reach out to me to try and help me. So let's all reach out to Jenny so she can get the surgery she needs. Let's make her Christmas amazing. And that's the great thing, isn't it? Everyone pulling together can make this happen for Jenny. Yeah. If everybody, we, I mean, we'd all love to do something massive, but we can't, we haven't got the money, we haven't got the way of doing it. But if everybody donates a little bit, this girl can have her surgery. So we're going to put her GoFundMe page. Yeah. It's at the end of my column yeah. on Sunday. It will be tweeted by me and Nick and it'll be on the podcast details. And if we can all help get Jenny out of that bed and get her to America and 
I just can't bear to think of her lying in her bed, mm. uneven, unable to watch the new Sex and the City, unable to watch Coronation Street, unable to look at live herself. Her live her life, be a 35-year-old yeah. healthy girl. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, money's tight, let's just all do what we can, even if it's a fiver, even if it's a pound, let's just do what we can. Yeah. We'll make sure those details are really accessible so that everyone can find them. You can read this week's diary in full on Mail on Sunday's You magazine. So moving on, I'm lucky enough to be watching Succession and it was the penultimate episode this week. It's the last episode next week. And it is absolutely fantastic. You've been loving it, haven't you? It's so funny and it's so well written. It's like every line is killer, killer lines, killer lines. And in this last episode, it's featured an incredible British actress called Harriet Walter. And she plays the ex-wife of the great big patriarch, played by Brian Cox. And she's so brittle and English, and she's marrying a new man. And her son says to her, well, he's posh. And she says, no, he's not posh. He bought all his own furniture. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. Yeah, I love that. See, I do remember I wrote that column um, rebutting a very posh newspaper columnist. She wrote a column about why does everyone want to buy a new DFS sofa at Christmas? Why are there only sofa ads at Christmas? Why do all these poor people keep buying sofas? So I wrote a column saying, hang on a minute, you're posh, you inherited all your furniture. Mm -hmm. When you're poor, you're in a rental cottage that doesn't take the sofas. You can't afford storage, you sell them. Then the landlord says, no, I want my sofas, you're going to have to buy some, so you buy them. Then they evict you after a month because they want to wear a B&B it and you have to move somewhere else and you've still got no... That's... Have you ever known anyone born buy more sofas than me, Ned? No, you're a serial sofa. But it's not my fault. It's not, it's not. So if you were rich, yeah, you keep the same sofa for generations, but if you keep being shoved from rental place to rental place, you can't. It's a different world, isn't it? It's a completely different world. Or even if you choose to move, you move for something that's appropriate for what you've got. Don't yeah, you? oh, I'm not going to go there because my sofa's too big. Yeah. I sobbed when I sold those pink Chesterfields. No. And I, I got a I fraction of the money for them. No, shocking. Yeah, and that's the other thing. When you keep selling stuff, you get less and less money. Isn't it amazing, though, that when you, you buy something on eBay or any of these sites, people are very definite about the money they want. And when you sell them... They literally batter you and want to pay nothing yeah. for it. It's absolutely unbelievable. But it's unless you're tipped into that world, you don't know it exists. No. So she's writing columns from a mansion in Suffolk. She knows nothing about how real people live. I hate them, I hate them, I hate them. She don't like them. But this takes us to our archive. Da, da, da. I'm going to get this pre-recorded because every time Liz makes me do that... I'm going to just pre-record it that we can just, like, shove a d-d-dur in. And I interviewed Harriet Walter in 2004, and she's such a fantastic actress, and it was absolutely a brilliant interview because she just lost her husband to lung cancer. And I felt a big affinity with her, really, because she'd never had children, 
And in the interview, she says, people saw me in roles and assumed I was this strong, confident, independent woman who didn't want commitment, who wouldn't make demands. I'd had relationships, and I think I was frightened of men in a way. So she's very like me, really. Her job was everything. And she was only with him for a very short number of years, and he was a lot older than her. And it's quite touching, really, because she tells us of the attraction of an older man. That's something that's beyond me entirely. She thinks the reason she found a connection with her husband, who was a lot older than her and he was already married, is she'd spent the past two years getting closer to her... You know everyone says our podcast is anti-men. This isn't anti-men. This is... This is I mean, no, but I haven't told yeah. you what it is yet. No, I was just, I was just about to agree. I mean, we're not anti-men. We're just anti-men that don't behave. Yeah. Yeah, like I love my dad. Yeah. So she had been nursing her father and he was suffering from Alzheimer's. Although nursing the dignified private man was hard, she says, I would be in the dressing room and get a call from the police saying they found him wandering the streets. The experience softened her. And she's, I quote her, it says, it helped me see the vulnerability in men to be more sympathetic. In a way, I'd been a bit immature in expecting men to be strong and wonderful and silent, and I think I developed a compassionate muscle for the frailties of older men. So when I met Peter, her husband, I was touched by this man on the cusp. He was boyish and sprightly, elegant and dapper, but he had lines on his face and he was getting tired. There was something I found very beautiful about that. And I think that's, I think a lot, maybe a lot of women will, will sort of, resonate with that because I'm the same we expect men to be a certain way but actually when you get to know them and they are quite vulnerable you know they're frail or they're overweight or they can't do technology or they can't mend a plug or they can't paint your house they won't go up ladders we sort of punish them for it and I I sort of felt that with my dad really because my dad fought the Nazis single-handed pretty much pretty much And uh, the pictures of him in Italy sitting on a fountain in his uniform, he was was like Harry Grant, incredibly handsome, my dad. And he was handsome all the way up until he died when he was 82. He was so dapper, wasn't he? And I remember looking at my dad and I saw the difference between my dad and my brothers. My brothers all had long hair and didn't get out of bed and smoked and everything. And my dad, even when he had cancer, his slacks were pressed, his shirt was ironed, he wore a cravat. Yeah. You know, it taught me that actually men can be incredibly strong and upright and everything. But when he was ill, I was actually quite afraid of him because it wasn't like he was my dad anymore because he's always been this military man who could do anything. And I remember he said to my mum when he was about today, tell the little girls I'm so sorry. He was so ashamed of being ill. And I think he sort of ruined me for men because my dad was so upstanding and so great with my mum and did everything for her when she was disabled. Anyone who didn't measure up to that, I just attacked them. Yeah. Because he was so fantastic, my dad. But I think she's, I think she's right. She saw the frailty and sweetness in men and it made her fall in love with her husband and then he died of lung cancer. That repulses me, the frailty and stuff of men, and if they're useless, I just can't stand it. I'm but that's not, not just men, is it? It's not just men. You don't like that as a character trait in, in anybody. But obviously in a potential partner, it's, yeah. that's going to present an yeah. issue. So it's not against men. Yeah. It's, you don't like that in, in women But she either. didn't have children. 
she was very into her career. She was quite frightened of men. So she and I were very similar. Yeah, yeah. But I loved watching her in succession because she just blows everyone else off the screen. She's absolutely fantastic. And if you haven't watched it, you've got to watch it from season one. You're not allowed to just go into season three. Every week, lots of you get in touch telling me what you think about my life and my decisions. So I think it's only fair that you get to have your say here on the podcast too. If you'd like to get in touch, then go to lizjonesgoddess.com or tweet me at lizjonesgoddess. So we've had a bit of a storm of letters and emails this week, haven't we, Nick? Literally emails, um, we have. tweets, letters. We have. We've had a huge response to your piece in the mail on Saturday and um, we've got lots of letters. It was hard to pick out, but, you know... um... It was funny. I was on a photo shoot in London for You magazine on Friday, so I was very stressed. And this piece that I'd written, I was very stressed it was going to press. I get very stressed when things go to press. She does. And I got a phone call while I was having my bra put on and I was going, I don't wear bras. And she said, yes, but you're not aligning with the darts <laughs> of the shirt. So I had to wear a bra. And I got a phone call and one of the editors said to me, are you OK with the word alcoholic in the, in the headline? I'm like, oh, my God. And again, we're going back to this Allegra Stratton story at the beginning of not being honest with people. And I just think don't be in the media unless you want to deal with the difficult frailties of life and things that women are going through. So my whole piece was about women and alcohol, my relationship with alcohol. And for the past 20 years, because I was tipped into this career of being an editor and then going to the fashion shows and being a writer and being married and getting divorced... I needed someone to help me. And then when I was bankrupt, I write about the fact the only people who would deliver anything to me was Marks and Spencers because somehow the official receiver didn't take away my Marks and Spencers card. I squealed it. Praise be. So I still there have my Marks and Spencers card, but they don't deliver food. They only deliver alcohol. It's probably changed since then. So although it looks like I coped with being made bankrupt and losing my home and losing my family and everything... I didn't cope. We've talked about this before, didn't we? Because at the end of the day, you lost every crutch that you had. You lost the ability to go to a spa that you would have done to feel better. I lost the ability to eat. I lost my car. Yeah. I was in the middle of a moor. I didn't have a car. The only people who came and brought me stuff was the little man from Marks and Spencer. But all your coping mechanisms for for stress and for for difficult things were stripped away from you not just not just your basics but but the way that you would deal with losing those basics were stripped away from you so alcohol is is something that you could have it is accessible yeah. it is something that you yeah. would make you feel temporarily yeah. better yeah. yeah and what i also wanted to get across in the piece was how horrible people are to people who drink like how horrible people were to my sister someone very close to her would call the police and report her if she got in her car mm were awfully rude to my sister-in-law who died of alcoholism and didn't help her as I got to come and stay with me. I sent my sister Claire to a rehab in Switzerland, yeah. none of which worked. Yeah. So there's a reason for this happening. And the way I've been able to stop is because I had to, when I have to, take, out, take medication to help me with my vertigo and my dizziness because of my poor deaf ears. 
But tell us what some of the readers said, Nat. Yeah, you've had a lot, an awful lot of support and a lot of people that have shared, shared your journey. We've got Louise who says, Hi Liz, just wanted to say what a powerful piece of journalism by you today. I was reading it at breakfast online and my coffee turned cold. I was immersed in your journey. I have no doubt it will help a number of women and you will be flooded with messages. We've also got Julia Todd who said, just reading Saturday's article about your drinking, you sound like me. I feel so much better not drinking and eating healthily. So why do I drink followed by rubbish food? I wish I didn't like eating. I'm 54 and still struggling, but starting again tomorrow. So again, it's moving from one compensation, isn't it, to another. So you don't drink, so you go for food. Or you, you've got to find a different compensation yeah. that doesn't for, make you feel bad. But for me, you know, I was sitting in a rented house with no heating, no car, no food... I needed something to get me to the end of the day. And I think, you know, I was a very nervous person. I am a very nervous person. And my sister-in-law, Laura, was a very nervous person. And she lived in Edinburgh, and it's very much a culture of drinking in Scotland. And she was so shy, and my brother, who she married, was so gregarious. She needed a glass of wine to sort of join in. Yeah. And then... They were living in Edinburgh. You have these sort of terraces where one house is above another and the man in the terrace below them, his gas boiler blew up and Laura and her two daughters were in the house and the whole house was destroyed and she lost everything she owned and everything. And she took her little two girls into the street in their 90s and one of them said to her, but Mummy, the washing machine's still going. Because that was the only thing that wasn't destroyed. So that tipped her over the edge. There was always a trigger. Another another sort of point I make in the piece, and we will put a link on it in case you missed it, another point is when I was young, there wasn't that culture of champagne and everything. I don't think you ever drank champagne. It seemed like impossible and far away and expensive and maybe when you got married. Now... All through lockdown, I've been watching Love Island, Married at First Sight. Every second is celebrated with a flute of champagne, isn't of course, it? yeah. You yeah. know, on Love Island, they all stand around the bar drinking. And so, in a way, it kind of makes you think, well, they're young and beautiful and they're OK. And I remember when Kate Moss admitted she'd never walked the catwalk sober, I thought, well, she still looks OK. Can't be that bad. No. I know it's very woke to say this and I'm not a woke person at all to see these young beautiful women on TV drinking all the time it does have an effect it makes young women think that's okay they look beautiful I'm going to look beautiful it's not going to ruin my life because everyone's got a fruit of champagne on every TV program and also if you don't I mean I'm not really a drinker Um, I'm not teetotal but I, I very very rarely drink and people do sort of react in a, in a very sort of adverse way that they don't like you not drinking. No. It's that they want to drink, so you have a drink with them. And there's a lot of pressure to drink. Yeah. I, you know, I'll say, no, I'm fine, thanks, just stuff in water. Every sort of interaction is yeah. about celebrating, isn't it? But, but it takes a shock to make you stop. It does. It does. It's very, very hard to do it on your own without a shock. It, it is, and I think that you, the incentive's got to be there. I mean, we've got Nick um, here that, that wrote to you as well, and he said the same thing. He's from Australia, and he said that being an Australian, they drink, and if you don't drink, you're not seen a, to be normal. And he drank to, to help him sleep, and but now he's given up the drink. He sleeps better than he ever has, 
and he feels better for it and he goes surfing and life is so much better sober. Yeah. But you are sort of ostracised because you're considered a bit strange because you don't drink. And he's sort of having that. I've had it a lot. I mean, my dad was an alcoholic. My ex-fiance was an alcoholic. I've got an alcoholic in my life now. So as the person that's used to dealing with people that do drink... It, it makes me even more, I don't particularly want to drink. Yeah. Because it's and quite you know, difficult. I've, I've had brothers who drink, but I, I think it affected the women in my family more. Yeah. And I do think that some of it is to do with genetics, due, due to the, the size that you are. And I never, ever thought it would happen to me because I was always very scared of alcohol. I was very scared of being out of control. I was always the one at dinner saying, no, I didn't drink. I don't know as much when we pay the bill. Because my dad always went to the pub because he was expat. They, you know, he lived in yeah, Kenya. Yeah, he was yeah. in the army. My sister Claire was an expat. She went and lived in Bahrain. It's, it's that sort of expat culture of drinking in Kenya. We now have it here now. Yeah. I do think we have an expat culture, especially during lockdown. Absolutely. And the thing is, with, with alcohol, it you drink it because you feel temporarily better, but then it's a depressant. Yeah. And so it's contraindicative anyway. Yeah. And, you know, we've got Maggie here, who um, is now a substance misuse worker, and she also gave up alcohol. And she's saying, you know, alcohol is a major cause of different types of cancers. <laughs> And this is her 19th sober Christmas. And she has a wonderful life. She's 62. She's been single for seven years. Her sober life is wonderful. She's putting her life together rather than destroying her life. So there's a there's a balance, isn't there? There's one thing being able to have a drink. Like I'll have a glass of wine with dinner yeah. in a social situation, but I've got no desire for a second glass. But then you cannot eat dessert, whereas I'm eating my dinner thinking about what I'm having for dessert. Everyone's got a compensation, but it's how destructive it is to them, I think. Yeah. But, you, I mean, you really had a huge response. Cause I, so yeah, many I don't people... think I've ever, ever had such a big response no. to a piece. No. I've, I've had TV stations ringing me up, radio stations ringing me up to talk about it. And really, I feel I've said what I wanted to say. Yeah. But we will put the link on, on the end we of the We will definitely part. put the link on. And I think the great thing about talking about it is quite often... Drinking or overeating or whatever you do, drugs, it's your dirty little secret, isn't it? People don't talk about it. It's hidden. So I think for you to come out and talk about it and be so open about it, it's given permission for other people to to recognise, actually, do you know what? I'm like that. Maybe I've got a problem with yeah. this. Maybe I need to address this. Well, that's it from us this week. If you enjoyed listening to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, why not visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. I'll be back next Sunday, but for now, I'm Liz Jones. And I'm Nick. Goodbye. Goodbye.